Now, if you could open your Bibles this evening to Matthew chapter 1, we're continuing our mini-series, our little two-week series that we have called Emmanuel, God with Us. And what we're endeavoring to do, we started last week, is to show you different aspects of the incarnation that makes what Jesus accomplished coming to earth so glorious and so beautiful and so special that's unlike any other birth that has ever taken place before nor ever again. And so last week with Pastor Matt, we looked at how God is with us in the details. How many of you remember that? And really, he he did a survey through the Old Testament showing all of the different events that happened and what on the surface looks like random things and people doing crazy things and making somewhat even bad decisions on the surface, but showing how God was with them through all of that and was using those events to bring about the birth of Christ. And so I want to encourage you if, you, if you didn't hear that message, to go back and listen to it. And we know that God is still involved in our lives in the details, in the small things, and in the big things as well. I don't know about you, but there's been many moments in my life that in, in the time I thought they were terrible, they were awful, and you know, they were, they were hard to walk through, hard to live through. But now I've seen that God was with me in that, and God was using those events for my sanctification, for my walk, to strengthen my walk with Him, to strengthen my trust and faith in Him. And so I believe that's true for all of us here as well. And so that was last week, and tonight we're going to be looking at an important reality that's true for all of us who are in Christ. It's true for all of us who have Christ with us. And something that is only made possible by the Incarnation. And so tonight we're going to look at Emmanuel, God with us, in victory. All of us in here who are in Christ are victorious. And so tonight we're going to be looking at three different areas that we have victory over because of the Incarnation and because of the work of Christ. But before we get to those three things, why don't we go ahead and pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, I thank you that the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Lord, I thank you that we can freely gather in this country together and worship Emmanuel, worship the King of Kings. We can hail King Jesus tonight. Lord, I pray that as we look at the truths of your word tonight, that it would Encourage us, Lord, that if if we came in here tonight maybe feeling defeated by life, that we would leave encouraged, leave knowing that we are victorious, that we have the victor on our side. And Lord, I thank you that as we spend time in your word, you do encourage us, you do strengthen our faith, you do build us up and edify us. So Lord, I pray that you do that tonight by your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. And so tonight we are looking at three things that we have victory over, and this isn't an exhaustive list. Surely there's way more that we have victory over with Christ in our lives, but these three things I've chosen to highlight are so important for us to realize, and 
they're essential to the, the truth of the Christmas season. And, and what I'm endeavoring to do tonight is, is give you another angle of the Christmas story, something else to bring to the Christmas table, so to say, when you're celebrating Christmas, uh, some other things to remind yourselves of that can encourage you and strengthen you and make this Christmas season all the more meaningful for you. And so the first thing that I want to look at tonight that we have victory over with Christ in our lives is victory over sin. Victory over sin. And so if you have opened your Bibles to Matthew chapter 1, I want to look at verses 18 through 23. So Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 through 23, it says, Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife. For that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgins shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Now, how many of you have heard this passage before, right? All of us, at least once or twice or ten times a year as we have the Christmas season and, and we study the Advent time and, and read of Christ's coming. And as we read it over and over and over again, we can kind of, it can become just numb to us or dull to us, or as we read it, we put in these thoughts that we have of the manger and, and we can become kind of desensitized to the actual reality that is being spoken here in this passage. So the name Jesus in Hebrew is pronounced Yeshua. And this name means Savior. It means salvation. And this wasn't an uncommon, uh, uncommon name at the time of Jesus' birth. There were Many people that had this name Yeshua, this is the same name Joshua as well. We know Joshua from the story, uh, from the account with Moses. Joshua, that's the same name that Jesus had. It means salvation. So during this time, parents would name their sons Yeshua because they were reminding themselves that there was going to come a Savior that would save them from the oppression that they were facing. But notice here in the passage that the angel doesn't just stop at you shall call his name Jesus. In verse 21, she will bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus. The angel tells Joseph exactly what this Savior is going to be saving his people from. Jesus' mission from the very beginning of time was to save his people from their sins. And this is a very important verse, and it's very important to pay attention 
to every word. The verse doesn't just say that He will come and save His people. No, it says that He will save His people from their sins. Yes, it's true that Jesus saved people from many different things. Jesus saved Peter from drowning. Jesus saved that wedding in Cana from being a disaster as He provided more wine out of the water. Jesus saved thousands from hunger multiple times as He provided food for the multitudes. Jesus saved those from their physical ailments as He healed the blind and He raised up the lame. But the angel here, he did not say that he will be called Jesus for he will save his people from the pains of this life. No, the angel is very clear and very direct on the mission of Jesus, on why Jesus came into the world. And the main reason Jesus came to this earth was to deal with the only thing that every human being since the beginning of, of time of human existence, Adam and Eve, starting with Adam and Eve, that we have all faced in this life. The, the, the only problem that all of us has dealt with in this life. And this problem, this thing, is, is also something that all of us are completely incapable of dealing with in ourselves, and that is our sin. Jesus is the only one who is able to solve this problem. This is what we sang about tonight. There's only one king who is able to save. There isn't multiple saviors. There isn't multiple lords who are sitting on the throne ruling and reigning. No, there is one king, there is one savior, and his name is Jesus. All of us need saving from our sin. Nobody is immune to this disease. Sin is more contagious than the deadliest virus we can think of. It's more deadly than cancer. Sin's effects are lethal, not only in this life, but for all eternity. And sin separates us from God. God, our Creator, who is holy, who is just, who is perfectly righteous every moment of history and throughout eternity. God will be forever perfectly righteous and God cannot stand sin so this is a huge deal because we are sinners and so we needed a savior and so I believe this very specific proclamation by the angel to Joseph is perhaps the the greatest announcement that has ever been proclaimed in all of history that there is a man coming his name is Jesus and he will save his people from their sins. And so through the work of Christ, we have been given victory over the curse of sin. Through Christ's finished work on the cross, His atonement, the, the great exchange, Him giving us His righteousness in place for our unrighteousness. We who, who our righteousness amounts to filthiness and nothing. Jesus gives us His righteousness as we place our faith and our trust in Him. The curse of sin in our lives is defeated. And so if you have trusted in Christ today, if you have Christ with you, if you are walking with the Lord, you have victory over 
the curse of sin. But not only do we have victory over the curse of sin, but we also have victory over the power of sin in our lives, over the grip that sin has in our lives. Hebrews 2, verses 17 through 18, it says, Therefore he had to be made like his brothers in every respect, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God, to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. When Jesus took on human flesh, he he faced temptation just like we do. Jesus faced all manner of temptation. Any temptation that you have faced, Jesus faced it, yet he faced it without sin. He was victorious over temptation. We saw that in the wilderness with Satan, that Jesus defeated that. He, he, he was victorious in that moment over Satan, conquering the temptation that he was facing. And so now we who are, who are in Christ, who have been filled with the same spirit that Jesus was filled with, we now have the power to overcome temptation and sin in our lives. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. We are a new creation. Why don't you say that? Say, I am a new creation. The old man, the old self, who was a slave to sin, we were slaves to sin before Christ. That old man has been crucified with Christ. Now we have been raised into newness. We are a new man. That new man is one that is not bound by the power of sin in our lives any longer. Now, of course, we are not Jesus. We will still sin. Unlike Christ, there, there is times where our flesh takes over. Hebrews 12, 1 through 2, it says this, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. So yes, we, we still sin, but the expectation is that You who are in Christ, you who now have Emmanuel, God, with us, that you can overcome the sin in your life. The writer of Hebrews here, he says, let us lay aside every weight and sin. And I I like how he says it here. It clings so closely to us. You know, just because we're saved, it doesn't mean, you know, once we're saved, this force field gets placed around us where temptation and sin doesn't come near us. No, we still face temptation in this life. Many of you, if you drive on 410, you face temptation daily with, you, you know who it is, that one guy's billboard that is on plastic surgery. You see that, and, and we have to decide, are we going to give in to that temptation and Look at the billboard, which is not wise in many ways. If you want to have a fender bender on 410, you know, just keep staring at the billboard. But if you want to have a spiritual fender bender, keep staring as well. But no, we are to 
lay that aside. And, and the writer of Hebrews here, it, he doesn't say, you know, if you can, try your best, and, and maybe you can lay aside that weight and that sin. No, it is the expectation that the believer will do this. But he also get, he tells us how to do it. He doesn't say lay aside every weight and sin, looking at yourself, looking at your own might, you know, just focus on that willpower that you have. No, verse 2 in, in Hebrews 12, it says, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before Him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. So this, this is the formula on laying aside that weight and sin, is you look to Christ. You look to His power. You look to His victory on the cross. You, you look at what He did on the cross for you. And as you do that, you can overcome the sin in your life. I like how the writer says this as well, that it is, it's not a sprint, this, this race that we're on. You don't overcome temptation once and then you're done overcoming it for the rest of your life. No, it's, it's a race that is run with endurance. It's a marathon. Daily, we have to lay aside this weight and sin in our lives. But we can do this as we look to Christ who is with us, as we are filled with His Holy Spirit and we're filled with the power of His Holy Spirit. We can overcome sin in our lives. As we look at His death on the cross, and this passage tells us that Jesus went to the cross with joy. He went to the cross with joy because He knew what His death was going to accomplish. He knew that He was going to give you victory over sin. And not just over the curse of sin. Yes, we are now reconciled to God, but His death and resurrection has given us victory over the power of sin over this daily temptation that we face. And so because God is with us, we have victory over sin. So that's our first one that we're looking at tonight. And the second thing that we have victory over is victory over Satan. Satan is a defeated foe. And this is something that I, I truly hope that we can realize the truth of this tonight. Satan is defeated. When Adam and Eve sinned, they brought sin into the world. And, and with sin, the curse of sin. And the, they, they handed over authority to Satan in that moment. But in that moment, when that happened, God made a promise to Satan in Genesis 3.15, God says to Satan, I will put enmity, enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. So God tells Satan that one day an offspring of Eve is going to crush your head. And we all know who that was. That was Jesus Christ, our Messiah, our Savior, Emmanuel, God with us. Jesus defeated Satan during His crucifixion, during the, His resurrection and His 
ascension and the authority that was handed over to Satan was taken back by Christ on the cross as He laid down His life for us. Jesus now has all authority. Satan has no authority. This passage now I want to look at in Matthew 28, which really has become one of our theme verses here at Christ as King Church, Matthew 28, 18. After Jesus' resurrection, He's meeting with His disciples. He's about to ascend and sit on the throne. It says in verse 18, And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. All authority. Not some authority. Not, you know, a slice of authority has been given to me. And and Satan, for the time being, still has the rest of the pie of authority. And then when I return, I'm going to take all the rest of the authority back from Satan. No. Jesus Christ presently has all authority. It has been given to Him. Satan has no authority. Satan is defeated. And so I want to look at a couple of passages that show us that Christ has defeated Satan. In 1 John 3, verse 8, it says, Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil, for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. Hebrews 2.14, it says, Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is, the devil. The devil is defeated. Jesus has defeated Satan. And so now we who have Christ, He is the victor. The victor has given us His Holy Spirit. The same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead now lives within us. And yes, Satan is defeated, but his, his final destruction is yet to come. And so in the meantime, he's still doing his best to put up a fight. But his, his fight is powerless for us who have the Holy Spirit within us. How many of you have been to a high school sports game or maybe you've been part of a sports team where when you showed up to the game... Before the game even started, you knew it was going to be a lopsided victory. It, it was obvious. I, I've, been on, I've been on both sides of that. But one time I remember in high school, we, we showed up to the gym. Before we even took off our backpacks, we were all looking at each other like, this game is over. There is no way we have a chance to beat this team. But what we didn't do is just, you know, walk back out the door, which maybe we should have done because we would have saved ourselves from severe embarrassment. But no, we still played the game. We still attempted to defeat this opponent that was much stronger than us. And this is what Satan is currently doing. Satan is defeated. Satan has no chance of victory, but he's still going to do his best. 
But what I want you to understand is we have the victor on our side. Our, our captain is Christ who has defeated Satan and we come into any battle against Satan with that authority that has been given to him. We fight Satan with Christ. We, we bring the victor, we bring the champion Jesus into battle and the battle is settled. And over and over in Scripture, the, the expectation is for those who are in Christ, it's expected that we can overcome the devil. James 4, 7, it says, Submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. So James tells us that we can resist the devil. But he also he, he gives us the formula on how we do it. We, we don't resist the devil in our own might. We're able to resist the devil as we submit ourselves to God. As we submit ourselves to His Word. As we live a life of obedience to the Word of God, to the law of God. As we live a life submitted to the Lordship of Christ in that we can then resist the devil. And James says, the devil will flee from you. And so if you're facing some kind of addiction, if, if you've been finding yourself falling into sin over and over and over again, I would ask you, are you submitted to God? Are you completely submitted to the Lordship of Christ? Are you spending time in His Word? Are you spending time in prayer and devotion and Christian fellowship because James says as you do this then you can resist the devil and he will flee from you John says in 1 John 4 4 beloved do not believe every spirit but test the spirits to see whether they are from God for many false prophets have gone out into the world by this you know the spirit of God Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming and is now in the world already. Little children, you are from God and have overcome them. You have overcome these false spirits. You have overcome the spirit of the Antichrist. And then John says this, for he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. I need to say this again. He who is in you, Christ in you, is greater than Satan. And I think many Christians, they don't truly believe this. They walk around defeated. They walk around fearful of the devil and fearful of the attacks of the enemy. We don't have to live in fear of Satan because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. And so Emmanuel, God with us, now that we have Christ in our lives, we are victorious over sin. We're victorious over Satan. And lastly, we have victory over death. In the same way that through Christ we have victory over Satan, we also have victory over death itself. Paul says in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 8-10, through 10, 
Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God, who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began, and which now has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior, Jesus Christ, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. Christ has abolished death. And this should make sense to us because if anyone could defeat death, it would be the one who is the author of life itself. The one who is the source of all life. John chapter 1, again a very familiar verse for all of us, the beginning of John's gospel. He starts by saying, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him, in Christ, was life and the life was the light of men. All things were made through Christ. Anything throughout all existence that has ever lived is only made possible because of Christ. He is the source of all life. And so if anyone would have the power to overcome death, it would be the one who is responsible and the source of creating all life. Jesus says in John chapter 10, John chapter 10, where Jesus is talking about himself as the good shepherd. In verse 10 of John 10, he says this, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. That's why Satan came. Satan came to bring destruction. Satan came to bring death. Jesus says, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. That they that Jesus is talking about is me and you. Jesus came, Emmanuel, God with us. Jesus, the Word became flesh so that me and you can have life and have it abundantly. Satan came to bring death and destruction. Jesus came to bring abundant life. And surely we've all experienced that abundant life in this life, we've experienced the blessings that come with following Christ, a life being of, of submission to His Word. But the ultimate realization of Jesus' promise of abundant life will come to fruition on that last day when we are raised with Him in our glorified bodies. Jesus says in John chapter 5, verse 24, Truly, truly, I say to you, Whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. Jesus' death and resurrection gave us victory over sin. It gave us victory over Satan. And it gave us victory over death. We've been raised from death to life. You have victory over death. I think this is something that we we hear over and over again, but without 
meditating on it frequently, we can become numb to this reality. We have victory over death. Paul sums it up best at the end of 1 Corinthians 15. Starting in verse 50, he says, I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we shall be changed. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. A day is coming when we will all put on immortality. Our bodies that have been perishing away will be imperishable. Think about that. John says in Revelation 21.4, Jesus in that day will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. Death shall be no more. I don't know about you, maybe I'm a fatalist, but I, I tend to think about death. Um, I've, I've experienced, you know, death a few times in my life. Our jobs as parents right now really is to keep our kids alive. You know, it seems like there's just danger all over the place, and the more kids you have, the more perilous everything becomes. And so, you know, we tell our kids, don't go out in the street by yourselves. When you go out in the, when you cross the street, look both ways. Why do we tell them this? Because death is a real thing. Don't play with the light socket. Why do we tell them this? Because death is a real thing. Don't play with electricity around water. You know, as, as parents and as humans, we're, we're forced to come to grips with the fact that Death in this life is a reality. We have to think about death and the, the reality that death is a real thing. But a time is coming when death shall be no more. Think about that. Think about what that will be like to, to never again have to think about death. Or what could cause death? The the danger that's out there in the world. There, there's going to come a time where that will be completely done away with. There will be no mourning, no crying, no pain. Just, just think about how genuine relationships will be in eternity, knowing that we will never have to worry, you know, when is the last time we're going to see this person, or it seems their life is coming to an end, we need to 
spend more time with Him. No, that will be completely done away with. This is a reality for all of us who are in Christ. And this is only possible because the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Listen to Jesus' words to Martha in John chapter 11. As Lazarus was in the tomb, he was yet to be raised. In John chapter 11, verse 25, Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Then what Jesus says to Martha here, I say to you, do you believe this? Do you believe this? Those who believe in Christ shall never die. This is the reality that we have in Christ. Because Jesus came to earth, because He dwelt among us, because He took on flesh, He lived a perfect life, He lived a life without sin, He was the Son of God, He lived a life that we couldn't live. Because of His life, we now have victory over sin, we have victory over Satan, and we have victory over death. So I pray that you believe this. I pray that this is a reality for you. And my hope is that this Christmas season you will meditate on these truths. That you are victorious because of Emmanuel, God with us. That as, as you think of, of Christ in this Christmas season, you, you don't just think of the babe in the manger, but you think of our conquering Satan, uh, sorry, our conquering Savior who defeated Satan. You meditate on that reality that all authority has been given to Him and now we have been given the Holy Spirit, the same Spirit that has raised Christ from the dead. It now dwells within us. This should encourage us. This should give us reason to celebrate this Christmas like never before. And I know I've shared a lot of verses tonight, but I'll close with this last one that really sums up everything that we've been talking about tonight. It, it hits all three of these things that we have victory over. In Colossians chapter 2, verses 13 through 15, Paul says, And you, who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with Him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This He set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in Him." Here in this passage, we see death defeated, we see our sins defeated, and we see Satan defeated. We have victory with Christ. Amen? Well, why don't we stand and let's pray. And then after we pray tonight, we're going to sing one more song that has to do with us having the victory. But first, let's pray. Father, we thank you that you are the victor that You are victorious. God, I thank You that You came to this earth with a mission. You came to this earth to give us victory. 
Lord, you came to this earth to save us from our sins. Lord, you came to give us victory over sin. The, the, the curse of sin has been broken. Lord, you also came to give us power over sin. Father, I thank you for your Holy Spirit. Lord, I pray that if there's anyone in here tonight who, who feels defeated, maybe they've bought the lie of the enemy that Satan has power over them. Lord, that through your word tonight, you, you helped them realize and you gave them a, a faith to know that they are victorious. God, that you have put Satan and his demons to open shame by the victory that you had on the cross and your resurrection. Lord, I pray that we would truly believe that we have all authority because you have all authority. And Lord, that we would walk in that authority that you have, that we would trust in the authority that you have, and that we would truly live victorious lives. And Father, we thank you for this. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, Amen. Amen.